After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high-quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You got to check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you had a great weekend coming up on today's show. Henry Cejudo is back. Submission Underground is back. And for some reason, George Masvidal can't get a fight. 
That's all coming up later, but first, let's revisit what went down Saturday night in Las Vegas at the Apex. All right, guys, bear with me here. Let's break down the weekend. But there was really two stories coming out of this, right? The Kevin Holland fight. And then, of course, the main event. Let's start with Kevin Holland. I don't know that I have ever seen Kevin do something that I didn't like, but also, even because you guys don't love it all. Like when he was talking to athletes and doing that stuff, that, that annoyed some of you. But I at least understood it, right? Do I get credit for that? Because Kevin was not trying to be a poor sport. He was not trying to be a jerk. He wasn't even looking to entertain or get himself attention. That's how Kevin stays calm. Kevin stays calm by making a fist fight in a steel cage against a trained killer in front of the world playful. That's how he keeps things playful. That's how he keeps his energy in check. That's how he deals with tough situations and is able to come back. He's got a great attitude. He has a great attitude because he acts it out. Right? We are whoever we pretend to be. The great actors in Hollywood assume a role. They become that cowboy. They become that prisoner. They become that love-strick puppy item. Whatever it is, they really become that. And Kevin Holland is just playing his role to keep himself in check. Okay. The story going into this fight was onefold. And onefold only has Kevin fixed or helped to fix any holes within his game as it pertains particularly to wrestling takedown defense. It's a whole story of the, the two losses that Kevin Holland had in the last year. Same story. Got taken down, couldn't defend it. Kevin recognized it, goes out to the AKA, works with Daniel Cormier. Little bit oversold story. He was only there for five days. But in all fairness, he, we at least know that he is sincere in his belief that he needs to fix this one error. So coming in, it would be a success if you're a Kevin Holland fan if he just stops some takedowns. If he can find himself in similar positions, which for Kevin is usually pushed up against the fence, Guy drops down to a double. He doesn't know how to play the fence game. Can he offer better defense? First off, yes, was the answer. Second, break the fight down. Have you ever seen this happen where a headbutt ends the fight? And for me, it's yes. Off the top of my head, twice, it was in boxing. If you wanted to be very critical, the referee got this right five seconds too late. But I think you are being too critical if you bring that up. Most referees, if they miss something and time ticks off the clock, they will never go backwards. They don't want to admit, I missed it. They don't want to say, well, hold on just a second, we need to review this. This referee had integrity. This referee had extreme integrity, was willing to take it on the chin as long as the combatants got a fair adjudication. That referee needs patted on the back 100%. Now, when the head clash happens, Kevin Holland is out. That's the moment you step in. Referee saw the head, saw it, but everything was fast. Everybody needed a moment there, including, in all fairness, Kevin. Kevin and his opponent didn't know what was happening, what the rules were. Leads to a, a rear naked choke. Standing, Kevin looks to defend it. He taps out. Great. I just told you the ending sequence. Referee says, time out just a second. I think I missed something. I am going to go consult with the commission to see if I have the right to back the tape up and, moreover, should have it been stopped. The Nevada State Athletic Commission came to the conclusion of yes, which was the right conclusion. 
That referee should, I don't think he's ever going to get credit for this. I think people are going to say it in the other way. Well, he got it right, but it, it was five seconds too late. He got it right. You show me another ref that's willing to run it back and admit I made a mistake. I am five seconds too late. None. None. This guy did awesome job. I only bring that up because Kevin Holland also gets points with me for his interview he did in the back where he said, guys, fine, it's going to be a no contest. That's what they ruled it. As far as I'm concerned, I got knocked out and choked out all in the same fight. This guy wins. <laughs> Dawkins wins. That's a cool answer. That is a very cool answer. Dawkins came out and said, look, man, this thing's going to haunt me. And I could only imagine from his standpoint, that's a, that's a tremendous win on a very beautiful placement on a card over a guy everybody knows. A week after your brother gets a tremendous win. I mean, this is great. The relief and the excitement that Doc has had taken from him, I bet that does hurt. So Doc has said, we got to do it again. Holland said, we got to do it again. I don't think anybody disagrees. Let's move on to the main event. The main event laid an egg. But it's not the first time where a fight that looks beautiful on paper has double-crossed us. Kimbo Slice, Houston Alexander comes to mind. Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou comes to mind. But you look at that fight on paper, you go, okay, here's what I know. I know these two are going to come out and look for the knockout. They both have the power. One of them's going to fight it. I just don't know who it's going to be. Let's sit down and not blink. Every now and then. And it only happens when, okay, if you're a great striker and you're going to take on a great striker, but you believe you're the better striker and you're determined to prove it, and he's thinking the same thing, that's when you have those fantastic Eddie Alvarez uh, versus Justin Gaethje style wars. When you have, I'm a striker, he's a striker, I'm not sure he's not better, and I'm really not wanting to find this out, that's when you have two guys that don't engage. And you never know as a matchmaker when that's going to happen, ever. We saw the same thing happen, as a matter of fact, in reverse, turned into one of the greatest fights of all time. We're about to get number two, but of course I'm talking about Kamara Usman and Colby Covington. They go in there, Covington, Division I All-American, Usman, Division II Champion. They both respected each other's wrestling. Not only was there no wrestling in that match, neither attempted wrestling. I want you to keep that in mind. That's for a future thought. I'm planting a seed, but as we start to break down this rematch, that's a very relevant piece to my analysis. I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think they're both going to look for the takedown, test this wrestling theory, see what they can do. But when they both threw that out ahead of time, they threw it out in the locker room. Colby decided in the locker room, it's not, the juice isn't worth the squeeze here. Not positive I can get him down. I know it's a lot of energy. What Colby didn't know is Usman thought the same thing. Usman looks at Colby and goes, I don't know if I could take him down. But I know it's going to be a hell of a lot of energy, and I'm not willing to expend it if I can't get on top. And they went to war. They went to war. So even though that ended up being an amazing fight, it happened for the same reasons, which is they both respected each other, which is what we saw between Santos and Walker. That's what we saw happen. I'm not ready to write either guy off. I mean, every now and then a guy, a guy gets a pass. You think Santos is, is happy with the level of excitement and action and that? You think Walker's happy the level of excitement? You don't need to kick these guys, trust me. They're upset with themselves. They know what they've done. They don't need a call from anybody. They got it. Everybody, Every dog gets one bite. This was the one. Santos moves on. We'll see what's next for everybody involved. That is what you missed over the weekend. <laughs>
Okay, so that's last week, and now let's take a look at some of the news that's come out in the lightweight division, and suddenly things have gotten very interesting for the title picture. Poirier has informed the world through his social media, signed, sealed, and delivered as it pertains to his title shot and his bout with Charles Oliveira. Now, I don't know of a title fight that has ever come together quite like this one. Hooker got a very, or I apologize, Poirier got a very rare hand. And the rare hand wasn't for this fight, it was for his McGregor fight. When Dana called him and said, you were the rightful number one contender. I will give you your rightful match, which is a title match. If it's a title match, it won't be against Connor. Or I can give you Connor, and if you take Connor, it won't be a title match. Which would you like? So when Poirier got offered that, he's kind of taken that with him ever since, right? Because there is nobody in MMA, not just in the division, not just the organization. There is nobody in MMA who is a clearer and more obvious number one contender for a championship than Dustin Poirier. 155 pounds, which I believe to be the hardest weight class in the sport. It is iron on top of iron. It has never been this deep. Even those crazy animals stood back and said, Poirier, would you, would you please get this over with so we can all get back in here? I mean, even the division and the locker room showed respect to Poirier's rightful number one contendership. But Poirier had a different idea, potentially, which was what other big matches are here. Hey, Dana, you planted this seed with me a while ago that I can do a title fight or I could have a different big match. What else do you got? I mean, it was just one of these things where all of a sudden Poirier's mind was going in some different places other than locked in competition. I would be very curious what it was. I think that would just be fun. I think it would be part of the story. I think we would learn something about Dustin. I would like to know. We'll never know, but I'd like to. And as you do think about Poirier, you think about poor Charles Oliveira. I mean, in all fairness, what the hell could Charles do? Charles is supposed to go to the media and go to social media and get the mandate and start breaking to, to defend? It just doesn't work that way. The champion doesn't do the call-outs. He gets called out. The champion doesn't call looking for an offer. He's told who it's going to be, and he defends against anybody. So Charles Oliveira did his part. But his part, right, his speaking role in this is very limited. Okay. But as you take a look at 155 pounds, my question would be, and now that we've got the date of this fight, my question is only one. Who's the backup fighter? And everybody that's fighting is fighting for number one contendership. That's an old school mentality. Ask Kumar Usman if it worked out being a backup fighter. Ask uh, Rumble Johnson if it worked out being a backup fighter. Ask Corey Sandhagen if it hurts to lose mega fights and pick up your phone and say yes. Just by example. Ask Michael Chandler if it worked out. I mean, I can continue to play this game, but these guys that step into this role, which everybody thought was like some kind of an underhanded, it's a beautiful spot. It's free marketing. It's built-in motivation. Knowing where that finish line is, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to eat a little better. You're going to sleep a little bit better. You're going to train a little bit harder. Nothing bad comes from being in that backup spot. But it's a new term. It's new to the vernacular. It doesn't sound quite as good as number one contender. I get it. It's a beautiful spot. And I do feel at 155, guys should be fighting for it. Because if you want to talk about number one contendership, of the matches that are booked right now, 
the one that is going to jump off the page at you is Gaethje Chandler. Let them go have their number one contender spot. I always tell you guys, you are going to get a job if you're the only person that shows up to the interview. Just by default, they're going, here's your keys. Your desk is over there, right? That's how it works. That's obvious what I'm stating. Nobody's asking for this backup spot, which opens the door for Islam Hooker. They need to realize they're partners. Islam and Hooker both need to call for this, and they need to put Dana into a corner and have him say, okay, fine, whoever wins between you two can be the backup fight. You're not getting the fight anyway. It's not going to happen. Oliveira and Poirier, I'm confident this is going to go on. Well, Dana wants a backup guy. He wants somebody to agree to that. He wants it just in case. No one else is asking for it. It may be Islam's ticket into the big time, which he's very thirsty to get. It may be Hooker's ticket into the big time. So let Chandler and Poirier steal all the attention from the media. Let them have the fans behind it and the name recognition. Let them have the number one contenders match. They're going to take it from you anyway. Go after something that you can't get, then you end up looking like a fool. Nobody's asking to be the backup fighter. And if you ask Usman how well that position worked out, you ask Chandler how well that position works out, it has a history behind it. 155 pounds. We got a world title fight, guys. Good news is we have the champion against the true number one contender. Now, these odds came out three hours ago. But when they came out, it was two to one in favor of Poirier. I will tell you right now, that could sway. You have one Dustin Poirier with one switch, which is on. He's got one button, it's green. You have two Charles Oliveras. The good news is the bad Charles Oliveira is excellent. The other side of the coin is the good. The real Charles Oliveira is the best. And to beat Dustin Poirier, you are going to have to be at your best. But now that that is signed, there's still opportunity. We need a number one contender. I submit for you, we have that fight already. But we're going to need a backup that night. And I submit for you, that slot is open. So as I sit here talking about title fights, I've got my eyes on 145 pounds and a guy who wants his shot at Volkanovski. Will he get it? I'll tell you about that next, but first, here's a quick word about today's sponsor. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I have ever had. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutrition habits and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to thrive. Busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us with a deficiency. This is where Athletic Greens has come to the rescue for me. One scoop of this daily, all-in-one superfood powder contains 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral, probiotic, greens, superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase energy and focus, help with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. What a relief. Athletic Greens is my one stop for it all. So simple, so easy. For you athletes out there, this product is NSF certified for sport. 
It's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free or gluten free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health daily simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash and join the athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Henry Cejudo is going to re-enter the USADA testing pool. What do we make of that? Well, tough spot. It's a tough spot, right? Henry was the king of cringe. He's known for making statements to get everybody's attention, but he enjoyed that and he let the audience in on the gag. By calling himself the king of cringe, he was letting the audience in that he's going to come out and troll them. And whenever you wink to the audience, you're going to have a lot of people that like that. They like to be on the inside. They like to know what's going on, but you're also going to have some reservations. I was known for the same thing. But one thing that I had told the world is you don't owe the media anything, including the truth. Bad guys lie. Now, that was great. I sold a ton of t-shirts with that. I had a standing ovations and, and big arenas. They were very happy to be in on it. However, there was times I needed them to believe me. There was times I, no, no, hey, whoa, hey, I, I need you to know this. And they, how do we know? You're the one that told us bad guys lie. You're the one that told us. You don't owe us anything, including the truth. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but this one, I'm serious. Well, it didn't always work that way. Right? Sometimes you can run into that. So when you're dealing with Henry, it's tough because Henry was being Henry Cejudo. He was not being Triple C. He was not being King of Cringe when he came out and called for a fight with Volkanovsky. But how do you know? How do you separate the shtick from the sincerity? How do you do it? Right? Tough question. I also have to look at this. Henry is not a fool when it comes to media. He's not the best in the room, but he's pretty damn good in all fairness. I can't think of a guy, I can't think of a champion who's removed himself from the sport that's got more headlines than Henry Cejudo, and I have George St. Pierre to throw in that mix. I have Khabib Nurmagomedov to throw into that mix. I mean, I have some really big and recent names. Henry still beat them. A simple Google search will tell you Henry Cejudo has been in the media more than any former champion in the last year. So we know that Henry's pretty good at this, but we have to take the evidence that we have today, which is Henry Cejudo is re-entering the USADA testing pool. And we have to cross-reference that with him calling out Volkanovsky a week ago because one of them is insincere. They don't go together. We didn't know Henry was out of the pool. Henry re-entering the pool is what informed us, the audience, that he had left it. But now that we know he left it and he knew he was out of it, he, it's going to take four months to re-enter. It only takes two months your first time. If you leave the pool and re-enter, it's now four. What's the relevance? Well, the relevance is he knew he wasn't eligible when he did the call-out. So was the call-out insincere? 
Or is this entering the pool insincere? Because one of them is. They cannot both be together. They are mutually exclusive. He knew he wasn't eligible to fight Volkanovsky, yet he called him out. Or re-entering the pool is a new headline and he never plans to take the fight. Which is it? I'm in a tough spot over here. I'm in a tough spot. So I know Henry. And that was real Henry wanting Volkanovsky. Real Henry wanted to compete. Real Henry wanted to go after champ, champ, champ status. But he needs somebody else to say yes. And that somebody else is looking at the fact that he was not eligible when he made that call out. Or re-entering the pool is the gag. I don't have the answer yet. Stand by. I'll get to it. I'll be the first to get to it. We'll break this down. Could have some real exciting news if Henry's coming back. 25, 35, 45. Wherever, wherever Henry wants to go, there's going to be a story. There's also going to have to be a fight, known as a contender's fight. He's going to have to look good to earn the opportunity. I'll tell you that now. He's not walking into a title fight anywhere. But Henry coming back, if he is sincere... I don't think would have a problem with the contender's fight. And Henry's doing nothing wrong trying to bypass it. Take the best deal that you can get. Henry's taking his shot. Stand by. Henry Cejudo, as you remember, used to hold the 135-pound belt. Since then, the belt has changed hands a couple of times. And now we've got an interim title fight going down later this month. Corey Sandhagen talking about his fight coming up with Peter Yawn. It's going to be for the interim championship. Corey did an interview where he said, yes, if I beat Yawn, I will feel like the real champion. Everybody views Yawn as the champion. Tough spot. Now, I got to give Sandhagen a fair shake. I am impressed with this guy. I think that he's a total stud. I can't go any further, right? Sandhagen's still a real thing. They tried to give him a number one contendership in the ring after the night he beat Frankie Edgar. He was not following his own division close enough to know that's what was happening, and he handed it to Aljo. I mean, that's real. Right? I got to give him a hard time for that, but for how long? I can't keep picking on the guy forever. I can't keep doing that, but it's still in the back of my mind. So when I hear him do an interview where he's claiming that everybody views Jan as the champion, I'm looking around going, who? Who thinks Jan is the champion? Certainly nobody that follows the sport, not anybody that knows that Sterling's the champion, not anybody that's now been told you and Jan are fighting for an interim championship that neither one of you bringing. It's going to be contested that night. Who thinks he's the champion? Certainly not Jan, who's pissed off about it and trying to get back to it. Who? Who does? And there's just a part of me wondering if Corey doesn't know that Sterling's now the champion and Jan isn't. I don't know how serious to take him. It's hard. It's hard after he pulled the Sandhagen. So I'm just staring at that and I'm, I'm going in circles a little bit, but there's not a whole lot that you can do if you're in Corey's spot. They always ask, and it's always some scumbag media reporter. It'll, it will never be a guy who you've heard of. It will never be a guy on a network that you could turn on on your television. 
It will always be some underground guy that left his parents' basement just long enough to pick up his press pass that has to ask, will you feel like the real champion? It is in the top five dumbest, rhetorical, and laziest questions in the history of the sport because it's redundant and keeps coming up. Nobody can fight for an interim championship and not be asked that question. Somebody who asked this of Corey Sandhagen, it may not be the same person, but somebody will ask the same question to Yawn. Whether it's the same guy or a different guy, somebody will say that. And if you're in Sandhagen's spot, what are you supposed to say? It's a yes-no answer. So you say yes. All right, great. Then you're, you're trying to add to your match because it's only an intra match and you're trying to steal false glory. Or if you say no, and that answer has come up one time. Shane Carwin won an interim championship. They had the belt on. They bring Lesnar into the ring for an organic face-off. Lesnar's the undisputed champion. Lesnar points down at his belt and says, that thing's not real. Shane Carwin reaches back, unstraps it, lets it fall on the floor of the octagon and says, I agree. So we're going to fight for your belt. Now that was interesting. The fight was already happening. It was already made. Shane didn't need anything. He didn't need to pretend to be anything. He was the interim champion, which Shane looked at as, I'm the number one contender, which is all I want to be anyway, Broxy in three months. It was it was just an interesting moment. And then Adesanya pulled a swerve. Adesanya was the interim champion when he went to Australia and took on Robert Whitaker. Whitaker, undisputed champion. So belt versus belt, Whitaker gets to walk out last. When Adesanya beat him, Adesanya went on the ESPN desk and told John Anik and I, I am not the undisputed champion. I was defending my belt, the interim belt. I'm now a two-time interim champion. And that was great, and I never wanted Adesanya to drop that bet. Because now he'd be a three and a four and a five and a six, however many times he's won it, interim champion. I just personally enjoyed that. I enjoy how comfortable Adesanya is in his own skin. Adesanya likes Adesanya. Adesanya has confidence in Adesanya. And there's just something about it that was compelling that he was he was stopping John and I from calling him undisputed champion. He was doing it as though this was serious and important to him. And it was his night and his hard work. And we had better address him properly, which is a two-time interim champion. There was just something brilliant about it. And so it was a little bit of a swerve that both those guys did, that Carwin pulled, that Adesanya pulled. Perhaps the is this for the real belt is not a yes or no question. Perhaps there is answer C. Perhaps there is a fourth response to it. So I would encourage guys to get clever because this isn't the last time they're going to ask Sandhagen this. It is literally one of the most redundant repetitive and rhetorical questions in the sport. There has never been an interim fight where that question isn't asked. And Sanhagen should know, I'm probably not only going to be asked at once. There's going to be some other lazy guy from mymothersbasement.com that somehow smuggled a press pass and is now in front of me at a media scrum. And I don't know what the clever answer is. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm submitting for you guys. It, maybe it's not yes or no. Maybe it's one of those things. And why would you build it up in all fairness? Because if you lose it, it doesn't matter anyway. And if you win it, it doesn't matter anyway. You're going right in 
to Sterling. You're not negotiating anything. You're not bartering or bidding for anything. So quite frankly, they could take the answer. They could even take your opinion that you have them and shove it straight up their ass. That answer and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee. However, in the world of entertainment, which is largely what these media scrums are for, Sandhagen should know he's going to be asked this again, have stashed a little bit better answer. Peter Yawn needs to do the same thing. And you need to come out and you need to entertain us. And we will take your answer, we will get you credit, we will get you highlights for it, and we will find out the name of the next lazy, repetitive, redundant reporter who snuck into the scrum and asked such a stupid question. So as I always tell you guys, I love fighters who are always down to fight, like Corey Sandhagen. And in fairness, George Masvidal is the same way, but for some reason says he can't get a fight. That's next. Then after that, I've got some thoughts to share on something Michael Bisping said about Khabib. Game bread. George Masvidal's very upset. Now, I think he was playfully upset in all fairness. I think he said some very funny things, and I think it was meant to be playful. But if you read it, if you read it, he's pissed off. He said, look, I've been in and out of Hunter's office. I can't get a fight. Then he turned the gun on Leon. He said, it's very cowardly. Cowardly, that's fighting words. In this business, in this business, those is fighting words. He says, it's cowardly that he's turning fights down and doesn't want to get in there with me. Moswell said, I just want a name. All I'm asking for is a name and a date. I'll take it from there. Now, let's say that Masvidal is being very sincere with us. Generally, when you hear something like this, there... There's then one part of the story that's left out, but let's say there's not. That would surprise me. George Masvidal is the second most bankable star in MMA right now. Conor McGregor is out, which makes Masvidal the biggest draw in the sport. And you're telling me he's asking for a fight and he's being told no? I would be curious on that. It does make me think something's left out now. This is all I have to work with, guys. I am speculating at best, but let's speculate. That can be fun, and it can be entertaining. Now, if that is the case, that would only leave us with one reason, which is Masvidal has such a beautiful contract, they have to find just the right opponent for him. I'm going to make numbers up. I'm going to make them up to prove a point. Let's say Masvidal has a $10 million guarantee. His next fight, they've got to fork over $10 million. They cannot just bring in anybody. It has to be the right matchup to break even, let alone get an ROI. Okay? Return on your investment. How many guys would fit that bill? Well, I can think of one. And don't forget, we have a couple of policies that we try to operate within. They're not rules, though, but they're policies. A guy who won his last fight takes on a guy who won his last fight. A guy who didn't win his last fight takes on a guy who didn't win his last fight. We could operate within the confines of the extremely limited information that Chael comes to you with right now in the most obvious fight that George Masvidal should have. George Masvidal should have one fight. There should not be a conversation. There absolutely shouldn't. And even within the... Poly Leon, I, I mean, I get it. And we've got the footage and the three-piece. So I get it. Big match. No question. But one won their last fight. One lost their last two. Where's the policy? I know another guy who lost his last two. It is the only opponent that should be discussed for George Masvidal. His name is Nick Diaz. 
I have no idea how we have come this far and we're not talking about that. Masvidal says, I left Hunter Campbell's office. I don't have a date or an opponent. George, next time you go into the office, tell Hunter Campbell you're going to fight Nick Diaz. Now you've solved 50% of your problem. Now we just need a date. Is it just me? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? It's so obvious. Nate Diaz appears to already have a match, or I would say Nate. And the brothers won't do it in reverse, right? Like Nate isn't going to go fight Robbie to try to redeem Big Brother, but Big Brother will do it for a little bit. The story works, okay? George, Hunter, go find Nick. Go get a date. Quit talking about talking. Quit meeting about meeting. And quit bringing up Leon. If for whatever reason Leon doesn't want to fight you, then there's your answer. And in the defense of Leon, and I do feel like something must be missing. I don't think that Leon would turn that down. I'm guessing. I don't know Leon. But I know of him. And to turn down the sport's biggest star would be a surprise. Now Leon is ranked number three in the world. Masvidal is coming off two defeats. Masvidal is, I don't know what Masvidal's ranked, but I know he was just the number one contender and he was the number one contender in his fight before that. And I do think that it's relevant. The only guy that he's lost to is the champion. Masvidal's a top five guy. Without even looking at the rankings, I'm confident that I'm right in that. But if Leon wants to look in a different direction, you go right ahead because Leon's the wrong direction. There's one guy for George Masvidal. His name is Nick Diaz. Michael Bisping was talking about Khabib, doing a little goat talk. And Bisping's contention was that Khabib has removed himself from the conversation. That Khabib, father passed away, Khabib had made a promise to his mother, so he left the sport. Michael conceded that that was different circumstances, but if you try to put the resume of Khabib up against an Anderson Silva or a George St. Pierre, that they, it just doesn't stack up. It didn't go long enough. Now, that's a very interesting point, and Michael is not wrong because, and I'll tell you why he's not wrong. You can't say he is. There are no rules for pound for pound. All Michael has done by making this statement has told us his rules for pound for pound. It's one of the reasons I despise pound for pound. Not only could we never hold the event, not only would we never know it's just like breaking down Batman versus Superman with all the different possible integers, but we can't even get people to argue to the same points. There is nothing within the rules of pound for pound that say it has to be over a period of time. Michael is identifying for you that in his opinion, the ability to extend your career matters. Now, when I tell you the rules of pound for pound, I believe I am the only person who is even aware that the term was coined by a boxing author out of Brooklyn in 1978. The author of the statement, who has poetic license over the definition of the statement, says that the greatest pound-for-pound -pound fighter is if you took size out and you only used skill, who could beat anybody if the size were equal? Then you talk about the greatest of all time. And that's where Bisping's argument does strengthen. Because now if you were talking of all time, now length and duration does play a factor. 
here's the thing, okay? And I use this to defend Bisping because I believe on Bisping's best night, he can beat any middleweight there's ever been. And even if he didn't have that run, right, he got a late start at it. But on his best night, he I think he deserves to be in the conversation of the greatest middleweight of all time. I really do. He's likely to not win it because of the rules that he just set forth, which was length. I just don't believe that that matters. Not when you're talking about of all time. All time doesn't have to be a long time. It can be a short time. They only used the word time. How are we to interpret that? I want to go back to Khabib because I want to clear one thing up. Khabib's legacy and the story of Khabib, much like a fine wine, okay, that story does not end until the last man standing is done. That Khabib beat. It's one of the things that makes St. Pierre the greatest of all time. You can't get around the argument. Saint P and a lot of this was luck of the draw. A lot of this was matchmaking, and it wasn't even done by George. George had a career in that he got to compete with yesteryear, his current generation, and when he left, the future generation. The fact that George beat Johnny, and after George left, and Johnny goes and grabs the belt and runs with it, George beat three different generations. Some of that was luck of the draw, but it's still part of it. If Poirier comes back and wins a world championship, that reflects on Khabib. Sure, Dustin will get some run with it. Sure, he will. Sure, Team Dustin grabs, grabs some strength. But until the last man Khabib beat says goodbye, the story of Khabib is ongoing. Khabib still got Gaethje that is going to go out there and represent Khabib's legacy. He's still got Poirier, who's going to go out there and represent his legacy. He's got RDA doing some stuff that still represents Khabib's legacy. It's very important that you understand that, and I don't even know how fair that is, but that is the way that it works very much, and I think that Michael would give me that point. Because there's a lot of guys still around that Michael disposed of. And when they go out there, I can assure you, deep down somewhere, Michael's cheering that they win. Even if it was a former opponent, enemy if you will. He wants them to win because then he wins. So it's a very interesting debate. It's one of the reasons that I despise it, but it's also one of the reasons that I never miss an opportunity to participate in it. The pound for pound, it's just one of these things, but Khabib is not done until all of his opponents are also done. To close out today's show, let's get away from UFC talk and focus on something that I'm very excited about this weekend. Guys, Submission Underground coming back this Sunday, 6 o'clock Eastern only on UFC Fight Pass. Let's break this down, starting with the main event. So. This main event, we have been building to this for three months. Submission Underground, just for perspective for you. Submission Underground is once a month, except last month. Reason being, the Olympic Games were on. So instead of competing against the Olympic Games, we're going to take August off. We will see you all in September. But before we left, we held a tournament. Now, I want to back up to this tournament. Submission so Underground has only held one before. And grappling tournaments, as you know, eight men. 
single elimination. So to win it or even be in the finals becomes your third match. To win it, you must win three matches in one day. Don't forget, we're underground. I don't know that I've given you any more details than that, but take it fairly literally, and it is hot as can be. I mean, the conditions are tough. They're very, very tough. So these guys, with the level of exhaustion, with how much fatigue, just dealing with the temperatures which reached 112, whoever's going to come through that tournament is going to be a real stud. Can we agree? And we have one piece of evidence, because the first tournament we held, a young man named Mason Fowler came through. Now, we only held the tournament because we had a champion named Craig Jones, and Craig Jones is dangerous, period. He is one of the most vicious and dangerous skill sets of any martial artist of any degree that I've ever seen. Craig only does two things. He strangles you or he breaks you. So to put somebody in there with Craig, we have a responsibility. We went through world champions. We went through Abu Dhabi champions. But we still have a responsibility to put somebody in there that can protect themselves. Can we agree on that? Okay. Hold the tournament. Mason Fowler comes through. Mason beats Craig. Nobody could believe what they just saw. And I got to put myself in that category too. I might have played it cool. But at the time, I couldn't believe what I just saw. So we do the only thing you can do. We rematch him. We make Mason prove it again. He taps Craig Jones out. So Mason goes on this phenomenal run. I mean, I just off the top of my head, he went through Ishii, the Olympic gold medalist in judo. He went through Ryan Bader, the sitting reigning heavyweight champion of Bellator. It was so impressive what he was doing. And Kyle Chambers gets thrown in the mix. Andy Varela. I'm talking about the best of the best. So you go, okay, we have another Craig Jones here. We have another very dangerous man. We have a responsibility to not just read resumes or, or, or take a poll or trust a manager. We need to see who wants this guy. Because the responsibility is twofold. First off, to the competitor, to make sure somebody can defend themselves. But we also have an obligation, integrity standpoint, to you, the audience. We have to bring somebody in there that not only has the skills to beat Mason Fowler, but they can keep himself safe in the process. And a lot of guys will agree to take Mason on. It's a very featured spot. Dana loves it. It helps to build it up. You get some notoriety. I get it. I understand the whole thing. I don't begrudge that. But for a championship match, we need somebody that thinks they can beat him. That's coming in to beat him, not just to compete with him. So we hold a tournament. Whoever comes through the tournament, we're going to give them $10,000. $10,000 for beating three guys in one day. I mean, in all fairness, right? I think we can agree this isn't about the money. But we don't want it to be. We want a competitor, a gritty competitor that wants his glory. Okay, if you can take out three guys in one day, you will be the number one contender and you will take on Mason Fowler. So the studs come out. I mean, the studs come out for this opportunity for the tournament. When it's all said and done, it's Kyle Bame versus Pedro. When that's done, Kyle Bame is the tournament champion which means he's the number one contender, which means it's Mason versus Bame. Why do I tell you this whole story? Because the only month we took off was last month, so it's been two months plus, closer to 10 weeks of building this up. 12 days ago, Kyle calls us, he broke his foot. Oh no. First off, feel terrible for Kyle, right? My, my first thought, Kyle, feel better. Second thought is what do we do about the main event? I know there's a lot of guys that want that match, but that wasn't, the prerequisite. 
Okay, the litmus test is, do you believe you can beat him? No more guys going out there just for an opportunity. Do you believe you can beat Mason Fowler? My phone lit up, lit up, lit up, lit up. And no, I don't mean from hearing from people all over the place. I mean hearing from the same guy over and over and over. I finally called the matchmaker. I was out of town. I was at a wedding. Called the matchmaker. I said, hey, what's going on here? She goes, he's doing the same thing to me. She said, I'm offering it too. Then she filled in the blank. She said, I'm offering it too. And she filled in the blank. I said, you know what? I don't, let's not offer it. Whoever wants it the most, if our litmus test in fact is, who thinks they can win? That's who gets it. Now, who is the who I'm talking about? One guy. Probably won't surprise you. Gabriel Checo. Gabriel Checo is the only man to defeat Austin Vanderford in combat. Austin Vanderford was a national wrestling champion. He is completely undefeated in MMA. He is the number one contender who will be fighting for the championship against Gegard Mousasi in the coming weeks. And he's fantastic in submission underground. Gabriel defeated him. I'm just, just for reference, okay? So Gabriel is not afraid to compete. Gabriel competes with the LFA, had a bare knuckle contract, Two weeks ago, fighting it up, his, his opponent ended up not being able to show up. But this is, this is a rough guy. And Gabriel looks it. I'm assuming you guys know who Gabriel is, but if you don't, you'll recognize him in a second. He's Brazilian. He's buff. All strong. He's got a mohawk. He's got a crazy look in his eyes. I mean, Gabriel shows up to do bad things. He's just a rough guy. The way it is. Trains with Clayton Hires. Trains with Vinny Mogliesh. He wants the chance. So now we got to call Mason. We got to put this thing together. Now, Mason has never been one to turn down an opportunity. And Mason, as champion in fairness, can't turn down an opportunity. You call him, you be polite. Hey, what do you think? But there's only one thing he can say. And Mason knows that. And Mason says the same thing every time, which is yes. Mason will truly take on anybody. This is what you want in your champions, right? From Craig Jones to Mason, look, the lineage is not long. These guys are grabbing the belt and they're, they're finding a way to hang on to it. But one thing that happens over a period of time, even a short period, the more competitions you have, the more tape and footage and knowledge of you that's out there. So now we've got coaches, we've got pundits, and we've got athletes sitting down, re-watching. They'll go right to Fight Pass, they'll bring it up, and then they'll rewind, and they'll watch again, they'll rewind, and they'll watch again. And there are a couple of traits I got to call it the word traits because it's not an insult, but there is some commonalities with Mason Fowler matches. Guys are starting to identify them. They're calling me. They're telling me and they're right. Does that mean you can deal with it? You still had Mike Tyson. Everybody knew about the uppercut. Everybody knew a hook was coming. Nobody could stop it. So you start to wonder just how big is the myth, the legend, the legacy of Mason Fowler going to be? eventually everybody in sports history gives it up to somebody. Somebody passes the torch. Is that anytime soon? Because this torch is red hot. Mason's getting bigger. He's getting stronger. His condition has never been questioned. He's finding new tactics, new positions, showing a lot of stuff off his back, a lot of rubber guard that he's going to by choice. So I think when people, I'm just giving you my opinion, but I think when people are watching Mason four and five and six and seven matches of him, and they're starting to find some of these traits, I do not believe we've seen the best of Mason Fowler. 
I don't think anybody fully knows what Mason's plan B and plan C is or looks like. I think he's got more in him. He's going to be tested. Gabriel Checo is here to win. That's between those boys, the unified rules of grappling, and you, the audience. We'll see you Sunday. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, find the show, and leave a review like our friend John, who says the best MMA talk show in the business. Well, thank you, John, and thanks to all of you. I'm going to be back here on Friday to talk a little more MMA. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.